You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hey guys, I am so glad you could join us for another episode of EM. We are so grateful to have Dr. Chrissy Thomas, neuroscientist, on the podcast today to talk with us about brain hacks. Oh my gosh, we are in for such a treat. We're talking all things brain boosting because we know that in life and in marriage, we not only need to look at our hearts and our body work, but also how is our brain functioning at optimal levels or not functioning at optimal levels to help our marriages. And we want to bring it back to its very best places and spaces. And even if you're not in a relationship today, we want you healthy, especially if you're like, hey, why am I not happy? Why am I not satisfied? Why am I not meeting somebody that I want to The brain has a lot to do with all of the different functions of our lives. And as you guys know, we can't cut it off from the other parts of ourselves, but we can learn it and we can give you some brain boosting hacks today to help you so much with your goals. And you remember, if you got to hear our January podcast, that we started off with all these body goals and health goals and fitness goals. And some of you are like, I am onward and upward with those. But many of you are like, what happened? Why am I losing my momentum? So to Today, we're just really reminding you of the importance of taking care of yourself so that you can get back in the saddle in every way, Uh, but especially here with life, with marriage, with relationships, with healthy relating. And why I'm so happy Dr. Chrissy is joining us is it is truly her specialty and she adds a life coaching element. Her whole forum in her online world. Her Instagram where I found her is helping busy people understand how brain health leads to good mental health. And she knows and is very research-based in her five zone with us to do that work. Now, I did talk to Dr. Chrissy just as a fun little research hack for us on the side. After this episode, I talked to her and she did the Enneagram test at Truity, which I really enjoy. And yes, I do partner with Truity, but I really just wanted her to show us like a little bit of the inside of her. And she was so cool and willing to talk even Myers-Briggs with me. But here in Enneagram world, she was really able to identify three as her strongest type with a very close one, and then also some five and maybe even a bit of seven. But definitely if she's a three, she's a three wing two because her two is almost as high as her three. So huge, huge, huge heart for helping. You're going to see that today on the podcast. As you might notice, if you hopefully go to her website, you'll see that she has also a huge heart for children. She's just really a gift to all of us, but she's a medical neuroscience and professor for those who want her formal title. She has a PhD and she's truly an expert in medical conditions that affect the brain. Uh, She has received 
fellowships from all over the place. She has done work with McMaster University. She's currently a professor. She's been featured in CBC's Her Story in Black as one of the top 150 Canadian Black women to excel within her field of neuroscience. And we're just so honored to have her on the show today. So we're going to learn all those brain hacks in just a sec. Before we get to Chrissy, I want to welcome a wonderful reminder of just the fact that we had a really fun contest last week, but I'm so grateful we got to have the, if you are listening to our Sleepless in Seattle episode, we are looking over at our winner for that and it is so much fun to see. So they guessed Tom Hanks as six-ish and Meg Ryan as two-ish, but it's Kohler commentary and they are so much fun. So I was just happy that they won the contest and I wanted to give them a shout out. They have their own podcast as well and it's with the Korean community and they are also certified Enneagram coaches. So that was fun that they played our contest and you can follow them on Instagram if you like. But I really also just want to bring us back to our presence as we're getting moving on this episode about the brain. This is a visual podcast too for those who wanted to follow along on YouTube. Dr. Chrissy and I did our fun interview together. So I thought, let me do another one of these on YouTube for us as we bring that E&M YouTube to life a little bit more. But keep in mind that brain, body, heart balance as you're thinking things through with your Enneagram work. Even if you don't always know your Enneagram type or want to explore through that route, just every single day ask yourself, how am I taking care of my heart? How am I taking care of my emotional center, in other words. How am I taking care of my body? How am I taking care of my thoughts? And then don't forget those instincts too, so that you are getting that self-pres here, which we're talking about, but then so we can lift up in our marriages, so we can lift up our communities. I think of it like the roots of a tree. If you don't get that saturation at the root level, you won't have that strong foundation and you won't have a healthy system or stability within your marriage. And your branches are not going to be as healthy or far-reaching or getting oxygenated as much as needed. So I think that we could really, you know, get geeking out here with Dr. Christy in a second on it, but we're already doing that anyway. But I just want you to know, like, keep all of this in mind as we're walking through this tides really on the episode today and know that Wes and I are doing that work with you. It's not easy, but it's always worthy. And we are just out there trying to balance it all with you guys. So we had our Ed Sheeran concert last night and with friends and we've been serving at church together because you need a healthy community. Uh, In our churches, you probably have heard our pastor's wife on our podcast here, but she's really a thinking type of a church. So uh, I love how they welcome questions and they are even going through a questions series right now, like why do people get annoyed with communities and and why are people hypocritical at churches and uh, just really reminding us like, you know, being imperfect is part of the process, but knowing that and claiming that versus claiming perfection is something we can all do importantly, uh, to remind one another, uh, you're not alone in your vulnerability. And we're all struggling, even though we're all also hopefully thriving. Um, It's not this easy rhythm or perfect balance ever. It's a sense of like, we fall and we rise again. There's a bit of failing forward to life. So just join us in that today as we trek along with Dr. Chrissy. And here, we're going to have another fun Memorial Day episode if you're listening live for next week. So stay tuned for our mystery episode. And then a very big announcement the first week of June. So we're just here for it all with you. And let's make sure we welcome Dr. Chrissy really well and get these brain hacks together. Dr. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us on the ENM pod today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Oh, well, I am so thankful. It's always fun when we get to work with an Enneagram newbie. So we'll find out Dr. Chrissy's type, maybe another show, but it's so fun for me to hear your sister's been introducing you to the Enneagram and we've been loving your work as well. Oh, I appreciate that. So thank you. Yes. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and what got you started with brain research and coaching. Yeah. Thank you for that question. You know, um, I help busy people kind of understand how brain health leads to good mental health. That is really my platform. Research shows that if we take care of our brain, we could actually help to prevent some mental illnesses, or even if we do become mentally ill, there's some resilience there that we can have if we do certain things. So I'm really passionate about helping people understand how they can improve or maintain their good mental health by understanding how the brain works. And I do that by sharing mental health strategies based on scientific research uh, that promotes healthy, mindful lives. So I'm a neuroscientist. I've been in the field for a very, very long time. I got my PhD back in 2010. uh, And up until then, I had three degrees as a researcher, of course, before the PhD. And then um, for the past 13 years, I've been practicing as a researcher and professor and speaker. And uh, recently, because of all of this community engagement, I, I see that there really is an appetite in the community to better understand our brain and how we can support our mental health. Um, I went back to school to get a certification in life coaching oh. to help with that translation into one-on-one care and um, and support. So there's a lot in there, but my entire platform and really my passion is helping people understand their brain health and how it can lead to good mental health. Oh my goodness. That is so beautiful. And I love that you are bringing it home to us versus just staying in the obtuse or ethereal region. You're really allowing it to come into practical steps today for our listeners. So don't be intimidated guys, Dr. Chrissy. I found her on Instagram. She's very relatable as you can see and hear. Um, So Dr. Chrissy, that's beautiful. And where do you practice out of which region in the world are you in? So I'm in Toronto, Canada. Now tell me, where are you, Krista? I am in uh, St. Pete, Tampa, Florida area. Okay. But I grew up in Detroit and my husband and I took a lovely trip to Toronto once for a baby moon and had a great dinner in the CN Tower. So we love your city. Fantastic. Yes, yes. Well, we welcome you back anytime. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Well, tell us a little bit about um, how our brains work. We've been studying in the last month's conflict and we're looking to goal set together, but I think that we really want to know how would you say our brains work in tandem with our bodies and our hearts? Because I notice that a lot of people in Enneagram circles, we tend to look at the three centers of intelligence, um, mm-hmm. but you're reminding us how important the brain is. So I, that's a huge question. So take any piece of it you like. Yeah. And it's a great question to start with. I think as social animals, as humans, we interact and it's not always going to be happy and enjoyable. Sometimes there will be conflict and conflict can be really tough, especially when emotions get involved and we get really invested. Um, Our emotions work closely with our body and our heart, right? We're all one system. So it all kind of interacts and, and influences each other. When we experience conflict, 
We have um, a nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system, right? And that is our fight and flight response. It really is the system that's activated when we detect a threat, right? So our heart rate goes up, our muscles tense up, we might feel hot and sweaty. These are some of the physiological responses that our body manifests when we're in that fight and flight mode. And at the same time, our prefrontal cortex, which is in the front of our brain, very sophisticated and uniquely, um, our, our, hu our human development is very unique and complex. It's what is primarily responsible for our rational thinking. Mm -hmm. And this tends to be shut down when we're in fight and flight. Just think about it. If we're facing a lion, right? We're not thinking about how to logically kind of work through our to-do list. We are in survival mode. We want to protect ourselves. So that thinking and rational part of our brain and our system is shut down to reserve uh, our resources to fight and to stay alive. So it's very hard to process information when we're really wound up and we're trying to, um, you know, combat somewhat of a challenging situation. And it's also why it's really important in that moment that we consciously try to calm ourselves down before we respond in conflict situations. Take a moment to breathe, take a minute to calm down, right? To react, um, to allow us to react appropriately. And this actually prepares our brain to kick back in that prefrontal area that's responsible for our thinking, our rational thought and decision-making, and to really prepare us to rise to the occasion of whatever challenge we're facing. So it's really important that to know that when our body is kind of in fight and flight and our heart rate is up, our brain is also experiencing that fight and flight response. So we have to consciously calm down so that that sympathetic nervous system can rest itself. We can dip into the parasympathetic nervous system that allows our brain then to think through things and respond in a way that's advantageous in that situation. Hmm. Okay. That is so helpful. So we're in now that sort of rest and digest stage or state, and we can think things through and you're really making me feel some positivity here that we can come back to the frontal cortex processing. It's not lost forever. Yeah, absolutely. It's very possible. And that's why I always say we can intentionally influence the way our brain works. We just have to be aware that we are in control of those processes, right? So that uh, rest, uh, that fight and flight um, uh, response kind of evolved to keep us safe when a threat is there. But now we're living in such a sophisticated time that we're not facing lions on the everyday basis, right? Our threats are more relationship-based, are more conflict between folks. And we have to understand that's not really a threat to our life, right? So we have to purposefully and intentionally talk ourselves into a calm state so that we can then think through in a rational way our response to situations. Hmm. I like that. And I like how you said it's all online together as one, this body, this brain, this heart, and you talked about the heart beating faster. And, and so when this is all happening, I've noticed you've also shared about crying and how that can be. Mm -hmm helpful, but I don't know if it's ever not helpful. Can you tell us how that might work with this fight or flight space of feeling the panic or wanting to let something out? 
Yeah, definitely. Now, crying, it's its really great. It's really an adaptive response to emotional stressors. So when we think of crying, it, there's advantage to the brain and to our overall mental health, right? First, when we cry, it's a natural release of emotions, which is always great. We don't want to keep that in our body because then we start to have physical responses to very uh, negative emotions. So we want to be able to release that. And it also helps when we release it to reduce our stress, our anxiety and our sadness. Mm -hmm. So if an individual is, is processing and coping with the very difficult to overwhelming emotions, crying can help uh, to improve mood and to create more of a mentally well space. Uh, second, crying also stimulates the production of endorphins. Now, endorphins are one of those those hormones or brain chemicals mm -hmm. that we hear about when, you know, associated with exercise and laughter and all those kinds of great things. We categorize it as a happy brain chemical. And really what it's unique to do, it's a natural painkiller, which is beautiful to think about. Like when we cry and we produce that endorphin, it's helping us process pain. And in that process, it's helping us to boost our mood. So it alleviates that physical and emotional pain that we may feel when we're crying. Another thing that, that you know, crying is really great for, it also improves that social connection and communication. We talk about being social beings. So we can sense each other's emotions, right? And we might get there where we were in our talking, how we might do that. And crying is a way to bolster that social connection and that communication through people, right? Signaling to another that I need support, I need help and deepening that uh, relationship and that connection between folks. So really crying is advantageous and it's really an adaptive response that's helped the brain and the body deal with emotional stressors. Oh, that's so helpful. Thank you. Because I think some of us out there in the Enneagram world, some of us more aggressive types or withdrawing types, uh, we might not be quite as present with those experiences. And just hearing you say, it's going to help your body to regulate and maybe your partner senses your anger and frustration, but they don't know about the sadness below. So it really gives these yeah. cues socially, like I'm hurting here. Um, yeah. That can be, I know, very helpful. And of course, to some people overwhelming. Um, so of course, yeah, relationally, I think it can get a little bit messy, but everyone needed to hear this today, that there's a lot of health to tears. Maybe spouses can be sharing this together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right. There is diversity in the way that we all process, you know, um, our feelings and our emotion. Um, you know, there there is a bit that if, if someone is prone to crying and using that as a way to help with emotional stressors, then that's their way. And it's advantageous for the brain. If that doesn't work for you, well, crying works for everyone. It's, it's you know, it, it, it just, it affects the body and the weight. But if that is not a way that you have learned to process your emotions, maybe your out, uh, outcome is something else or your outlet is something else. It's just making sure that the stress is not kept within your body and it's released in some way. And crying is a very natural and healthy response to releasing that stressor. Oh, that is just so comforting to hear. And I love that it has a flow and it will have an end and it does not go on forever, but that it can actually really help people in so many ways. Um, and that really goes with my next question about, you know, brain chemistry. And you talked about brain chemicals running through and how are they part in general of relationships with the work we're doing at home? Is there any tips we can have about how to sort of 
garnish our emotional capacity with, with knowledge about our brain chemistry? Yeah. And it's a great question. You know, when we, when we talk about relationship, um, togetherness, mental wellness, there are four main chemicals that, you know, the brain uses. Now there are lots, but these four are ones that we have a lot of understanding about how it affects our well-being and also our relationships. We talk about the brain chemical dopamine, which is our feel-good brain chemical or our motivating brain chemical. It really helps us to feel like we've accomplished something or potentially when we're planning an event or some kind of task, not an event, but planning out something, that satisfied feeling we get when we are systematically have a plan to follow, that's dopamine's activity, right? Mm -hmm. It's helping us to feel like we've accomplished something or we are readying ourselves for success in some way. So that's that's a beautiful kind of, um, uh, of, of resulting factor with dopamine. When we talk about things like serotonin, which is another brain chemical, mm -hmm. this is our mood stabilizing brain chemical. And that's when we are in a mentally healthy space. This chemical is active and working as it should. When we go out in nature for a beautiful walk or a hike, for example, or go to the beach and we're just walking alongside the water, that feeling we get is because of serotonin. When we practice gratitude, right? Or or we meditate or we pray, whatever, however we connect with ourselves and be present in the moment, that's the action of serotonin. So that's when we can experience those things. Now, when we talk about relationships, oxytocin is one that is key, right? And this is what we have deemed the love chemical. It's so very important to our mental wellness. You know, we experience oxytocin first, first in a very popular way is when, um, is when, a mom is nursing her her child, oxytocin is released and helps with bonding, right? So that is that is one time that oxytocin is released. Oxytocin is also released when you are intimate with a partner where you feel safe and you're loved and there's a bond there. That's oxytocin. Even when you get a massage or when you get a hug or someone says something really wonderful to you, or there's a deep connection with a conversation, this is all the action of oxytocin and something that we can really nurture within relationships. And then the fourth brain chemical of interest here is endorphins. And we talked a bit about endorphins uh, just now, but other ways that we can activate this is through exercise, right? Um, also that intimate connection um, it's, it, is when endorphins are active, right? It's that natural pain reliever that allows, you know, um, us to be connected in an authentic way, laughing, aromatherapy, acupuncture, dancing, these things kind of trigger our endorphins. And these four chemicals chemicals are really well known for helping us feel well connected, loved, and in just a really good mental space. And they can be nurtured through our, our intimate connections with other people. Mm, that's so important for us to hear both what they do, but also as always, this ultimate question on this podcast this is always like, help me through my angst. And yes. so I think you're saying you have to get active. You have to be aware mm. that you do have this prefrontal cortex area of the brain, which really separates you from other species that uh, that really help you to process uh, some solutions. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So that helps us with our thinking. These chemicals really help. They're like the gas in the car, right? The brain is the car. It has a system. It has connections. It has things that does things, but it has to have the gas in the car to go or the electricity in the car to go, right? Um, So these chemicals are what allows that to happen. It really activates these multiple brain systems to help us feel well and connected. Um, And it's very advantageous in relationships because we are social beings, we rely on the healthy activity of these four chemicals to keep us um, in a good space. Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. And so it's our responsibility to bring some of this to ourselves, to our partners. And I also have heard you talk about mirror neurons Mm -hmm. because we relate and we co-regulate. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Now, mirror neurons, it's a beautiful thing, right? Especially as, again, we think that we are social beings, uh, to think that the brain has um, a mechanism within it to help us connect authentically and powerfully socially um, is something that's really exciting to me as a neuroscientist, right? The, The mirror neuron, it's a type of brain cell that allows us to understand and empathize with other people, right? And that's really important when we think about our relationships. Uh, These are amazing cells that are activated when we observe someone performing a task. And it's also activated in the very same way when we perform the same task. So it's almost like our brain does not differentiate between someone else's experience and our own experience. We experience it to the same degree. And that's why sometimes when we see someone yawning, for example, we feel the urge to yawn, right? Or yesterday on National International Happiness Day, when you smile at someone, they smile back. Though that's the action of the mirror neuron. Now, if they don't smile at you, that's a learned effect, <laughs> learned behavior because <laughs> yeah. the brain does ready us to respond, right? To uh, smiling or mirroring, mirror neurons, mirroring someone else's actions. Now, mirror neurons, it, it plays a really crucial role when we think about uh, social interaction. It really helps us to develop those greater, deeper, empathetic uh, experiences between individuals and being aware of our own kind of nonverbal um, communication as well as paying attention to others, it can help us to kind of establish that stronger emotional connection. But I know it's also very, very important that we inquire about those cues and not make assumptions based on what we're seeing, but say, well, ask, like, how are you feeling? I'm seeing this in you. I'm sensing this in you. You know, when we say I sense something, that's the mirror neuron system, right? Mm -hmm. Asking and trying to understand the what's happening with the other person. So that we allow our mirror neurons to help us with that empathy, but we go the step further and really use our communication to understand what's happening with the other person and then respond appropriately. Mm. You said a lot there, and I hope our audience will re-listen to this piece of the podcast, or even this is one of those podcasts we might all need to listen to a few times because I love your brilliance here. But um, I'm I'm thinking about how couples are so prone to, like you said, understanding the very basics of the mirror neuron uh, procedures with each other. But I think that we often miss, like you said, really the communication piece that we can add on that says, I may feel what you're feeling, but I don't know why. And And I make assumptions sometimes. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is like the life coaching hat that I'm putting on here. You know, assumptions can be limiting. So we really do have to ask about that other person's experience so that we can better understand, right? Our life experiences all shape our brains differently. So I might perceive the, the very same stimuli that you are perceiving in a very different way based on my life experiences. And that has all shaped the way that my brain has programmed itself to respond in a situation. So although I'm sensing what you're putting out there, those nonverbal cues or your, your emotions, I still have to inquire about what's going on with you because you're still a unique person and would interpret things very differently than I might based on our past experiences. Yes. Oh my gosh. I wish I had talked to you earlier today because I made a mistake with both of my teen daughters. They're dual enrolling at college classes. And I saw this stressful countenance on both and I was sort of judgy with it. And I really didn't ask. I just sort of presented this aggressive stance of like, you guys are acting like moody teenagers. <laughs> you know. And then, <laughs> and then they're like, we are so stressed. And I'm like, okay, well maybe we need like, thankfully we were able to repair. And I'm like, maybe we need to step back. Maybe next year we don't take so many classes so that we can still have a pleasant countenance. Um, but I struggle then again, and my audience knows this with sometimes just allowing in uh, uh, other feelings. Have you noticed that with mm -hmm. people where some mm -hmm. people are like, I want everyone to be happy. And it's like, we have to let the flow of fullness kind of come through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we have so many uh, populations listening today that I want to really not just focus on mine, but there's a group of Enneagrammers out there who I really want to shout out to, and that's our nines. I think if you're not a nine, you're possibly married to a nine. You definitely have a family member who's a nine uh, because this seems to be the most common type. It's our peacemakers out there. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about this space of brain burnout, it really makes me think of that nine who um, may feel foggy at times and not know how to come out of that other side, not the sympathetic side, but maybe even out of the parasympathetic side. So I wondered if we could talk a bit about some tips for those who are struggling on that end of things. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for like, you know, providing an opportunity to, to speak about this because you are right. There are so many folks out there that try so hard to support others, sometimes at a, at a, at a you know, um, at expense to their own wellness, right? So I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thing for us to talk about burnout and to talk about the impact of what that does to the brain and our wellness. And, you know, kind of to define that a bit, and we, we might start to feel like mentally and physically exhausted, or we might experience just a lack of motivation, difficulty concentrating, decreased productivity, right? The fogginess in our brain, again, that prefrontal part is just tired, right? Thinking about our brain, it needs resources, and those resources can become depleted. And then we have compounding effects in our cognition. So that's why we feel foggy and we feel tired. And burnout can have a significant impact on our brain. It's really closely linked to stress. And when we, we're chronically in a state of burnout or chronically in a stressed out state, um, it doesn't only change our chemicals, but it can start to structurally change our brain. It can impact that prefrontal cortex that we were talking about where we make, helps us to make decisions, problem solve, regulate our emotions, it can actually start to shrink that area of the brain, which would be problematic, right? We need that. We need that as human beings navigating the complex world that we do. 
Mm-hmm. We might start to have difficulty managing our emotions. We might get a little bit um, edgy or, or, or reactive, right? Um, and it might impact our ability to make sound decisions. So really addressing burnout is very important. But And the good news is that we can do this. We can combat burnout by just doing um, things now. I mean, if you do need support, professional support from a therapist or a coach or, or a, you know, a, a helping professional in some capacity, please get that help. It, within our everyday life, we can also do things. And these are all like self-care practices. Mm-hmm. Thinking about how simple lifestyle choices that we we know we should do, there are really ways that these activities impact our brain. For example, exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercise is one of those really remarkable things that release all those happy brain chemicals we talked about before. As well as prepares the brain for to to care for the cells, right? The brain cells to also promote the growth, neuro growth yeah. factors and neurogenesis, which is neuro brain or nervous system genesis, the beginning or the start of. Mm-hmm. So the growth of new brain cells. So it really has a protective role in our brain. And you know, research has really shown that when we exercise, it slows the progression of cognitive decline. So it has protective factors even for dementia and other types of conditions. So exercising is one of those things we know we should do, but we just don't want to do it. But I'm just here to say it's really good for your brain. So consider, you know, consider something, right? Raising your heart rate a bit for a few for a few minutes a day. Um, practicing mindfulness, being present in the moment, concentrating on your breath, what is happening to you, reflecting on your thoughts and feelings so that you can process that in a more um, in a more uh, proactive way, right? That's a, another self-care practice. Getting adequate sleep, that's really important too. Sleep has um, a housekeeping role in our brain where we are sleeping, we are unaware of it, but our brain is still quite active. And while we're sleeping, neurotoxins like cortisol and other ones are removed from the brain. Think about when you're sleep deprived, how edgy you are <laughs> after after that period of time. So sleep really does have that housekeeping role in our brain. So getting adequate sleep is important to help us to cope with the demands in life. Take breaks, you know, set boundaries. These are things that can pre- prevent you from feeling the impact of burnout and kind of systematically getting you a place that is more healthy for you. Mm, wow, that's very helpful to hear and very hands-on and practical. And it it really is interesting that our nines are what we call a gut or body type of person who, you know, just feels things and merges. And like you said, just so compassionate to others. So uh, there are other types like this as well. But what's wonderful to hear is not only did you mention exercise, which is one of our key phrases, we often use the word body work around our nines, but you said, yes, it can be damaging to the brain to, to go into the state for too long where you're having the brain fog, but you also gave us hope for neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, a term I wasn't familiar with. So this is very helpful for everyone struggling. Yeah, definitely. And and you know what, for a long time, we didn't think we can change our brains. We thought that the brain we were born with is what we have for life and that's it. But science is Um, has really given us a lot of great information that shows that we can change our brain all the way up to our very, very mature years. So these kinds of changes are possible where we talked about neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change itself and to adapt, right? Neuro, again, nerve or brain plasticity, 
plastic, right? How the brain can change. And neurogenesis is new brain cells, the ability to grow new brain cells and connections. And all of these are possible well into our mature years. So there's always room to learn, right? And that's how neuroplasticity kind of comes into real terminology within our life. It's around learning and adapting and being able to, um, or giving enough time and repetition to behaviors that we want to adopt, so, so that it becomes a bit more uh, easy for us to do because we're changing the brain in the process. Mm, wow, that is so helpful. And it just makes us really feel hopeful and that couples, if they're getting self-care and perhaps trying to read some nonverbals together more and allow for some emotional intimacy with the tears, that they can have a lot more natural healing and maybe fewer attachment injuries last for so long. Yes, Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Is there anything else that you feel like would be just helpful for individuals struggling in their relationships or couples to kind of just come back and say, take, take this into account as we finish up our time together with you. You've already shared so many great tips. So I don't know if there's something else looming or if we just want to introduce where they can find you. Yeah, I think, you know, in this conversation, it kind of helps me, uh, it brought back to my mind, um, love, like we we talk in relationships, we look at love, and we and we kind of try to navigate the ups and downs of love. So I mean, one thing I can leave you with that I think is a really powerful understanding of love is that it impacts our brain, like it does impact our structure, our chemistry, our function of our brain. Like, interestingly, when we fall in love, um, it releases a number of the chemicals we talked about, dopamine, our pleasure chemical, oxytocin, our love and connection chemical. It also introduces adrenaline. Like, you can um, you can think about that, right? That feeling of pleasure, happiness, and excitement that we experience when we're in love and it's young and it's fresh and all these kinds of things. Yeah. These chemicals activate our brain's reward system. So really, there is a sense of um, euphoria and and that motivates us to pursue the person we love. So love is really powerful. And over time, as our relationships kind of deepen, our brain can also undergo structural changes because of the repetitive access and association to the folks that we love. So we start to associate these with networks in the brain that are good for attachment and empathy. They become more active and more connected. So love does change our brain. It's actually a very, very powerful thing. It really supports our feeling of closeness, intimacy, and emotional bonding. But on the other end, and this is what I really want to say, (laughs) the intensity of love can also have negative impacts on the brain, right? Like when we experience deep disappointment or heartbreak or rejection, these can have similar effects on the activity within the brain. And we can experience this the same way we might experience physical pain. This is another thing that the brain cannot differentiate between emotional pain and physical pain. So if we have heartbreak, we can experience that as as to the degree of the intensity of physical pain. And I say that to say, if you are in a relationship or you're with, like you have a relationship where there has been a pain or rejection or emotional wound, 
a care and um, attention needs to be given to that because that person's experience is very real and very authentic and it has concrete changes that are happening within the brain that would need support in just the same way as if you bruise your, your knee or you twist your ankle or such. The brain does not differentiate between physical and emotional pain. Wow. Wow. So I've been thinking of the phrase lately beyond attachment wounds, because I'm hearing you say when we do get locked there, it's Mm -hmm. important not to just leave it. It's important to address it because it is changing the neurobiology uh, and needs to be looked at as just the same as a physical wound that needs attendance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So there, you know, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand. And I try to reiterate all the time that when we experience our thoughts and our feelings and behaviors, it seems quite abstract, but all of these things are the results of very physical changes in our brain and our body. So the more that we kind of demystify our emotions and our feelings, you know, and when you say, okay, this is actually because my brain is doing something or because a different system in my body is doing something is the more we can um, have a target for caring for our brain and our body and our wellness and supporting those healthy uh, connections with others because it will be healthy for us physically as well as them when we are connecting in a more authentic um, and healthy way. Mm, Yeah, that's key. Authentic, but also healthy. And these mirror neuron experiences are more positive, but like we said, richer, more mobile, not just the one affect of totally burnt out or over the top, pretending it's all okay. Uh, You're really allowing people to have that flexibility of feeling your stuff, doing your work, taking the time out for it. And we just can't thank you enough because we know that couples often do experience the euphoria in the early years, but you just even reminded us today that there are deep attachment pieces of the brain when we stick it out. And when we work out our conflicts, long-term love rewards. And I didn't really know that. Yeah, it's a really powerful thing. Love is great. It takes work and it takes nurturing and it takes, you know, it takes us to care for it. And these things do change our brain in wonderful, wonderful way. And we just have to, you know, um, understand it and kind of get into it. Just really take advantage of the advantages of having um, a loving relationship and and working through um, the things that just keep it, keep it healthy and whole for sure. Thank you. It really helps everybody to say, I'm doing my work for me. It's going to change that whole family system when I do my work. uh, So I don't have to feel guilty or wrong or bad about doing my work to refresh myself through this. So thank you so much. Where can we find you, Dr. Chrissy, so that others can get to know you as well? Yes. Well, thank you for having me. This was a great conversation and I hope that it's helpful to your audience. Um, I'm on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is dr.krissy.phd. So that's Dr. Chrissy PhD. Um, I'm on Instagram and that's really it. I have handles all over the place, but Instagram is the only place I am consistently. Um, And then I I do have a website, drchrissy.com, if you want to find a little bit more about what I do and the services I offer, uh, that is there. And that's all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-R. Oh, thank you. That's so fun that you also offer the coaching. Somebody may be benefiting from that. I really hope so because you are just such a wealth of knowledge, but also I see your huge heart space as well and analytical skills. So we just are so honored to have you today. Thank you again so much. Thank you.
Okay, you guys, I knew that would be an inspiring episode for all of us, and it was, and I'm so glad. So visit drchrissy.com, find Dr. Chrissy on Instagram. Make sure you work on at least one thing from today's episode that you can bring out. Set your intention with me right now. If you need a deeper dive, make sure you come back for our Deeper Dive Wednesday episodes here. Subscribe. Make sure you share the show. We're so grateful to be doing this with you, but you guys are the ways that we can spread the word about all we're doing here. And we just appreciate you so much more than you know when you do that. So thank you so much. We will see you for a fun Memorial Day week next week with a mystery episode. And then we'll see you the following week with a big EM announcement. And we'll talk to you soon, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as EnneagramAndMarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.